Welcome to Young Entrepreneurs with the Green Roof Team. My name is Nelson Fernandez, and today we're here with Owen Johnson. How are you doing today, Owen? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me today. Awesome. So to kick off today's episode, Owen, would you like to pitch to the audience why they should listen to this episode and other episodes on our podcast? Perfect. I don't see why there'd be a reason not to. The Green Roof Team is a great team, and I presume that this podcast series will be just the same. Today, we'll be talking about my personal experiences with clean energy, as well as with the Green Roof Team, and diving a little bit into what that means, um, being my successes and failures in my academic um, career up to this point. Awesome. So audience, if you're ready for an exciting episode, it's ups and downs, lessons left and right, you're in the right place. So Owen, Thank you for being here. Um, would you like to give the audience a little background on who you are and maybe how we met? Of course, I'd love to. Um, my name is Owen Johnson. I'm a junior uh, in electrical engineering at the University of Washington, which for you guys who might not know as well, it's a very top corner, northwest corner of the United States. And um, I ended up meeting Nelson at a hackathon during COVID. Nelson's a pretty fun hackathon, Tree Hacks, hosted by Stanford. And we decided to make a, a new system that would be an autonomous wiring system. Moreover, we wanted to make a system that would be controlled um, autonomously that would work for rooftop gardens and be scalable and modular to the needs of whatever community. So we ended up making, um, what was it? What would you call it, Nelson? What are we end up making? Um, I believe we called it the smart irrigation. Yes, Smart Irrigation. And we had a cool business team for it. It was a cool business name. It was Smarter Water, Water Smarter. Yeah, Water Smarter. Anyways, um, yeah, it was basically an Arduino controlled by Raspberry Pi over the Wi-Fi. And it opened and closed a valve. And it taken information and opened and closed that valve based on information, which was read directly from the soil. Um, and hopefully in later iterations, based on our pitch, um, from the internet. And yeah, there I got to meet Nelson. And haven't left him since. And one hackathon. What hack? Yeah, and one hackathon. Best beginner hack. Yep, definitely. I know I enjoy the AirPods to this day. Yes. High quality materials made by uh, Apple. Good old Apple. <laughs> so uh, before we dive into all the work talk and lessons learned, do you want to talk a bit about Washington? It's an interesting area, a lot of mountains from what I hear. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Uh, so, you know, right now I'm staring at the Cascade Mountain Range and we can see Mount Rainier on a clear day. If you line yourself up from Red Square past the, uh, the big fountain, you can see Mount Rainier on a clear day with the sun behind it. It's beautiful. We also home to, I think, how many? We have quite a few volcanoes. Like it's actually kind of scary how many volcanoes we have around here. Not active, thankfully. But um, yeah, it's just a gorgeous part of Washington. And to my west, we have um, the Olympic National Forest, which is like a rainforest, which is weird because you wouldn't expect a rainforest in the US, but we have one. Um, and that's also gorgeous. So a lot of good hiking trails and hopefully you get Nelson out here one of these days. Definitely. I'm looking forward to it. I actually didn't know Washington had volcanoes. Have you yeah, been hiking have... in up the, the sides of cliffs 
to the edge? Yeah. Well, one one volcano you may know um, that's pretty popular is Mount St. Helens. Um, it erupted in the 1980s and it caused a massive landslide. It actually covered my hometown with a few feet of ash. Um, like my parents, they had to shovel it like it was snow or something, which is, I can't imagine that personally, but there are pictures. Um, another big one is, I think it's Mount Rainier. It's actually a very big volcano, um, but it's dormant for now. But if it wasn't dormant, we'd be in big trouble here in Seattle. Yeah. Awesome. I actually didn't know that there were volcanoes. I knew they were pretty tall mountains, but that's awesome to hear. That yeah. and also that they're dormant and not active. Yeah, thank goodness, right? Cool. So out of like curiosity, did all the hiking throughout your life in the area help inspire you to choose engineering and be creative or did it inspire you in other ways? Let's see. So I would say that my upbringing was deeply uh, kind of rooted in nature. Um, but another part of my interest in engineering comes from like kind of the sustainability aspect of what we can do with engineering. Um, I think that's partially why I'm here today and um, an active in several kind of clean uh, tech related um, clubs and organizations at my own school. So yeah, I'd say that it has, has inspired, but I definitely want to be able to, you know, preserve, you know, the outdoors for our future generations. And I think one of the good ways of doing that is by keeping the climate where it needs to be. Definitely, I agree. Um, climate is quite important, and we want to make sure that we're being environmentally friendly and also um, providing a good future for the future generations. So, talking about sustainability, are you part of any projects or any programs on campus that focuses on technologies in the field? Of course, yeah. Um, one of the projects I'm currently working with is um, we call it the e-bike project, and we're trying to install, um, you know, a one to ten kilowatt capacity solar array to on to feed um, ten e-bikes. And so, basically, we're just going to, you know, catch the power, throw into a battery, step it down for the bikes, and give it to the bikes. That's one of the projects. Um, and some other projects, which I'm not directly related with, but I. I market frequently based on my role in this club. Um, our clubs are not, or projects internationally, right? So one of them is a solar library in Ghana, which will get its power from its roof that will power the computers. And yeah, yeah. So a lot of interesting projects all over the world. Awesome. So I heard you mentioned two solar projects. Is mm-hmm. that your field of interest among the different technologies or have you ventured out and thought yes. about other technologies? Yes, I know. I know the Green Roof team loves their wind turbines. But yes, unfortunately, I am still a solar guy. Um, I, I'm just fascinated. I got this little, little battery charger right here, you know, solar panel in the back. And it's just, it's crazy to think about how you can convert light into energy. That's, that's still a concept I'm trying to deal with today. Um, but yeah, I'd say definitely a solar guy. Awesome. And don't you worry, we're adding solar PV later this semester onto the green roof. Can I, can I hear a little bit more about that? I haven't heard a lot about this, but I'm, I'm interested. Yeah. So um, as you know, from our many conversations past, we did get the wind turbine up there and it's actually up there. Uh, it's right there. Right now. <laughs> yeah. For uh, those watching the video, we 
have a nice background on Zoom that shows the SIU green roof with the wind turbine. So our primary constraint last year was working with the map design for the tower, for the wind turbine. And essentially we were quite constrained by the dead load of it. So the sheet metal that we purchased, the largest one we could buy from the vendor was a three by three foot. So we cut a nice circle around to help um, use those edges as gossips to help the mechanical side, the tower's design life and reducing any stresses that the wind will pose on it. But over that three foot area um, diameter, it's quite limiting how much weight you can have in that one area being on top of a rooftop. So we have about 400 pounds of sand up there on that square. And then having the weight of the turbine itself, you add maybe another hundred because it's majority wise metal. So you have about a little over 500 pounds in that three foot area of space. And that's about 75 pounds per square foot. And that's close to the max weight for a unit area you want, especially on the rooftop we are. So in order to increase the height of the tower, we'll need to either increase the surface area that's touching the roof or add more weight. Of course, we're constrained by the area of the mound, so you can't go add more weight. So the solution that we're exploring is, can we use solar PV up there and have them act as, as anchors? if we add enough ballast to it within a safe limit. So then you can use guide wires to help ensure that the tower doesn't go tipping over. So we're gonna ideally right now explore and ensure that the safety design, if you have say two modules on each corner of the wind turbine, so every 90 degrees have guide wires connected as say anchors, because we can't go drill into the rooftop. So the system ideally would then be a hybrid because you have the wind and the solar generation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's fascinating. It's a, it's a very kind of engineering approach to a problem, right? Yeah. You know, instead of adding more weight, instead of making it smaller, why not, you know, get best of both worlds. There's some PV and wind power in there. Oh, most definitely. <laughs> ideally we yeah. would have uh, liked to just have larger sheet metal, but that would be a simple solution that we can just throw money at, but instead let's try and be innovative and see if there's another solution with what we have on hand. That's what you're here for. You're not, you're not here for the trivial solution. You're here for the innovative solution, right? This is the green roof team. Yeah. And then even adding more onto it, um, if that solution doesn't work, we're designing the tower to be adjustable, kind of like a basketball hoop where you use a pin to adjust the height of it. So the tower right now, we have a six foot tall one because the two we purchased was six foot tall. But instead this year, we're looking to purchase two of those six foot ones. So then one can fit inside the other. So then you can have a range of say um, six, between eight and 10 feet instead of just six standard. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I remember at one point when, uh, when early on in both uh, my, my e-bike project and a little bit earlier on in the group project, we talked about maybe, you know, replicating your process to, to UW, right? Remember that? Yeah. And it was interesting um, to see, cause it is definitely nice that your campus is so like welcoming uh, of the new changes where my campus is not, you know, big city. They're like, you know, don't touch the roofs. Oh, uh, Definitely, it's a good benefit of being at a 
large university with a small student population, especially with the pandemic, where our population was at, a, I believe, an all-time low. They mm-hmm. focused on student growth and finding ways of empowering students like myself to go mm-hmm. out and it became good, not only good marketing, but it showed that they, the university truly um, wanted us to succeed, I would say. But now, yeah. um, in all honesty, with the uh, population going back up, um, support is getting divided once again. So projects like myself, there's less of them because there's more students on campus, more involvement. So sharing around all the support now. But we, we still have our ways of achieving yeah. this. You got your ways. All right. Um, I don't know if any of the listeners um, follow the Green Roof team on LinkedIn, but I would highly recommend it because it is quite fun seeing some of the stuff that you guys are doing. Um, I'm just curious, have you guys talked about um, the trash project, trash turbine project um, at all on this podcast? Is that worth something getting into? We have once or okay. twice, I believe. We had two team members, Danny Garcia and Chris Delgado, come on the podcast, I believe, in the last three weeks. Mm-hmm. But I know that's one project that you're quite interested on. Yeah, I'm quite interested. Yeah, one of my um, one of my groups I work for, it's called Global Renewable Infrastructure Development at UW, UW Grid. And we, um, we were founded based on, you know, the aftermath of Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico. Um, one of the professors, her home village was kind of hit and it lost electricity. And so um, the grid kind of formed out of her effort to take some students from the University of Washington and kind of re-electrify the necessities uh, in her village, you know, like pacemakers, um, fridge, a local hospital, maybe not the local hospital, um, but kind of like needs that you might have personally that you need electricity for. Um, so I, I found it really interesting that one of your guys' why was, you know, go help people, you know, potentially after these, um, these events to, you know, find ways of being inventive and to create power. Yeah, definitely. I agree. That's one of our goals, um, being able to have that larger vision and impact in the world. Um, so for those who are unfamiliar with our trash turbine project, the official name is a disaster resilient wind turbine where you use common household items that are either readily available or damaged by your recent natural disaster and primarily use those materials to design and construct mechanical end of the project, primarily the blade systems and the tower. And then with our electrical kit, which we are attempting to find ways of safely constructing out of common host items, you'll be able to have a generator and electric circuit to be able to connect to the blade system because essentially you just need a shaft to be able to turn the generator, create that magnetic field to drive the current and have it stored into a say 12 volt or 24 volt battery to be able to use. And using common household items, recycling materials to make those mechanical ends is not, I won't say the most difficult, but it is doable by all means. And it's a temporary project. So once you get hit and you're, you lose access to the grid, you can have that small power generation. Um, Owen, do you know why an area like a Puerto Rico is in need of technologies like these and they're not as resilient following natural disasters? 
Yeah, let me think. No, I think that this may be, um, there's, there's a wide variety of issues, like why this may have happened. Um, but I think we could just boil it down to the lack of resilient infrastructure. Um, you know, you're on the notes not. on that one. Yeah. And I can't exactly tell you um, what it was, but I know, I hope, I've heard, don't know if it, I, this is like, right, this is probably, probably about a year after Hurricane Maria, um, that they were, that they were building up the infrastructure to be better. Um, but I don't, I don't want to speak to that. I guess I don't know enough about it. Uh, but hopefully they are more resilient now. But yeah, definitely need to work on the grid, build redundancy, and you know, increase resiliency through you know, small grassroots projects like the Green Roof Team. Most definitely. And I know from first and experience, we actually became inspired because one of our team members from last year, who was a senior at the Inter-American University of Puerto Rico, he'd always mentioned how, oh, at home, the power is off, so you can't join the meetings, and how the power usually would go off every, I believe, every couple of days, every, consistently over every couple of months. So not having that readily available access to energy was something that inspired us to think about, oh, well, what can we do to solve this? And then this past summer, I was reading quite a bit about the floodings in Germany and how they were accumulating a significant amount of waste. So then the thought was, oh, what can we use that waste for to be able to tackle one of UN's um, sustainable goals of increasing accessibility to energy? And the ideas just came together like a puzzle. Yeah. It's fascinating, man. I... I love it. I love seeing people, you know, our peers come up with ideas like this that are like revolutionary, but achievable, you know, and I'm, I'm excited to hear that piece of the puzzle. I, I haven't heard yet, but that, that would be, that'd be amazing if you guys able to pull this through. Most definitely. Um, have you ever done research with smart grids and developing areas? Personally, I have not. Um, my group, UW Grid, we have a team dedicated to social impacts where we went after um, going through and doing the installations, they took a, a surveys and figured out, you know, the best practices and maybe practices to avoid when doing their installations. And that's about as close as I've personally got is, you know, uh, briefly looking at the reports and, you know, identifying how we could best, you know, make our next moves for installations or, um, buildings. My research at the UW, I, I did do for a little bit. It wasn't necessarily in developing countries, but it was just building grid resiliency with clean energy. And that was, that was interesting. But we won't, you want to dive into it? I would. I'd like to hear what you learn right. and where I can go from there. How do you build resiliency right. in the grid system, Owen? Yeah, that, that's the million dollar question right there, Nelson. Um, for us, the answer was renewable energies. It was having, you know, renewable energy nodes where we could, I guess, microgrids, you know, off the main grid where you could shut off the main grid and the microgrid could still power an area. Um, so what we would do for this research is we, we had a bunch of gas model data, right? So you feed natural gas into a system and that natural gas gets burned into electrical power generation, right? Into transmission lines. Um, and so we would look at those nodes where the natural gas flowed through. 
and we would do some NK analysis where we would turn on one node and turn it off. All the nodes on, we turn one node off. All the nodes, we turn one node off. And we did that amongst a massive network to identify the weak points in the, the natural gas system. And from there, from that weak point, we could say, okay, this is a weak point. This is if where if we added clean, um, kind of clean uh, tech, you know, solar, wind, power here that can operate on its own, we could help increase um, kind of like the needs. We cannot increase, I guess, help the needs of the customer when they would have otherwise been out of power. Uh, yeah. Identifying places and then identifying solutions. Awesome. Um, because I know based on some research I was doing last semester, I believe for a class, I was taking a look at smart grids and how they can and how to develop resiliency with developing countries. And that was mm -hmm. the primary solution that they came to um, several different researchers was microgrids for small areas. So then they can have their own independence, but then it's all connected to the larger grid later in time because upgrading their infrastructure is much more complicated and difficult because it's so much older and it's difficult to just go in and replace mm -hmm. um, bits here and there, but instead building a new infrastructure and increasing data points to be, have a better understanding was their solution. Yeah, that's a great solution. I think that's way we might be going forward towards in the future, you know, and maybe microgrid isn't the, uh, the typical, what we see it as, you know, like a home, but maybe microgrid just could be like a city, you know, it could be, you know, like my little town, 40,000 people, Longview, Washington, you know, as one little grid just servicing it. And, you know, it's going to be interesting seeing how we move forward in the future and how we address that problem of an aging grid along with these new technologies we have for the grids. So in Washington, in your area, do you guys promote community solar? So I guess it depends where you look. Um, in my, my hometown, you know, Longview, Washington, 40,000 people, no. Um, it's just a different demographic of people, and that's not, that's not in their cards. Um, they prefer not to see where their energy comes from. They just want to flip on a light and be there. Looking towards Seattle, yeah, there's a lot of, um, I know, community efforts where people are trying to bring solar back into the community. Let's see. I'm trying to think of an example. Yeah, so there's, I forget his name. I don't really want to talk about it because it's not my project, but um, it's, uh, it's an individual who lives in Seattle. And his whole premise of, um, of a, a solar right is to give back to the people. So he's making a, a solar array system on a trailer that can open up that will be able to power kind of like mining computers, you know, mine cryptocurrency, and then use the funds from that cryptocurrency to directly invest or kind of give loans out to small um, kind of BIPOC-owned businesses in the area and kind of support people who are typically underrepresented, undersupported um, in this in this part of the um, world. And so he basically wants you solar to give back to his community, which I find fascinating. But yeah, sales pretty cool. That's a really interesting concept to be able to um, give back. But we can pivot away from that if you like, um, because hearing about community solar in Seattle versus your hometown is much different than where we are in Illinois, because back home in Chicago, it was something that 
was never mentioned, but actually in Carbondale, I'm not sure if it's just an outlier, but they actually promote community solar quite a bit. There's a group called, I believe they're called Solar for, for All, and they're on a mission, I believe they began a few years ago, and they're still continuing, they're growing on increasing community solar in the area, which I found quite interesting because I would think that in Southern Illinois, you wouldn't see much clean energy. Now, I have a question for you. What is community solar, right? What is What does that mean in uh, kind of your part of the states? Yeah, so for us and the way I define community solar is in addition or aside from paying the local utility company, you pay towards a solar array that is funded by the community. So you, everyone pitch in who wants you, and then you receive a the payback, a portion of it. That way you can have a large solar array that's in a large field that it's not on your property, but in a large field in the area. And because the way that Watchtree works, at least to my knowledge is it's first come for a service. So for example, if we had a solar, so if you have a solar array on your house and it's connected to the grid and you flip on the light switch, you're using that energy ideally first because it's closer. But if you have your light switch off and you send energy to the grid and say your neighbor switches on their lights, they're connected to the grid, they might be using that solar energy. But of course you won't see that because you're selling it back to the utility company. But essentially okay. it's a community contributing towards a large solar array for a large solar production. That's, that is fascinating. That that's, like, sounds like a solar co-op, you know, that's, that's beautiful. Okay. Well, I definitely missed the target with my answer. That that's just such a beautiful way of like looking at clean energy coming together as a community to kind of pay for a common cause and then also be able to like reap the benefits of that common cause as a community. Mm-hmm. That is, um, I hope that idea spreads. Hopefully it does. I know the biggest bottleneck for that and constraint is you need the space to be able to do it. Yeah. And so, but what does the space look like for you guys um, down there in Carbondale? I'm in Carbondale. Well, you have the city of Carbondale itself. Not too sure what the population is, but once you go outside the town, I mean, it's all cornfields up north until you hit Chicago. South of us, you have the Shawnee National Forest. So it's a nice, beautiful area, a lot of hiking, a lot of trails. Um, The population in Carbondale is about 26,000, which is, I believe, the largest, largest town in the area. Um, to find the next town over, you'll have to drive maybe 10, 15 minutes through um, cornfields and open fields, but mm-hmm. pretty uh, pretty spread out rural area in our part okay. of Illinois. Yeah. Yeah, perfect place for uh, community solar grids. So being interested in solar energy, have you explored any innovative, any emerging technologies in solar, like concentrated solar or solar wind turbines perhaps or flexible panels yeah unfortunately nelson not everybody can be inventive as the green roof team okay like i see i see you guys making your own pcvs i see you guys making your own wind turbines but no you know unfortunately in my life it is very you know look at what's been done and try replicating that um you know that's just the, the sad fact um, I know here at UW, though, we are doing some fascinating research on printable solar panels. Ooh. When I was a freshman, 
I almost got into a lab that did that. And so what they would do is they'd have this massive like printer machine, like you'd see like newspapers come out of, except it would run like 30 feet of like a, like a thin film, like silicone, right? And then you'd run it back through and it'd put another application needed for the panel and it just run back through this machine until it slowly like, built up this flexible solar panel. I thought that was pretty cool. Incredible. But, um, and it is incredible. Yeah. Cause I mean, if you can mass produce that, could you imagine just like wrapping a building with like solar panels? Like that's, that'd be crazy. That'd be awesome. Um, but yeah, so I've seen it, haven't been able to interact with as much um, or been able to design it like you guys have. Awesome. Good. So yeah. now pivoting the conversation, I want to hear a bit more about where you are in life and what you're looking to do. So where do you see yourself in the next three and five years from now? Nelson, that is the question. Okay. Life is, life's crazy, especially at this time. Um, as, as you know, I said before, I'm a junior uh, at university. And so that means there's a lot of big decisions ahead. Right now, I'm looking at probably three major paths. One, get out of college, right into the workforce. You know, work for the man, make some moolah, travel, have some fun. Um, that, that's kind of appealing, but also, who knows? I like to see where I can go. Second option would be go to law school right after school. So start, keep studying the LSAT, and hopefully take it next year and start applying for some big schools and I get, I get in. If not, that's all right. Um, one thing to have been studying kind of a technical STEM field is that we can do patent law, which is pretty cool. So let's say, you know, Green Roof wanted to patent its idea of the um, kind of the disaster resilient turbine. Then they would, you know, we'll file a patent and I can help fight for them. That's pretty fun. Um, I, during my time at UW, I loved working with the startup space. I don't know, it, how's the startup scene in, uh, your part of the world, Nelson? Um, in my part of the world, it definitely not as advanced, not as aggressive. Um, okay. It's a lot of small business owners since we're in a small area, um, so less um, customer base. Um, but it is the research park on campus. They have a small business development center, and they're pretty, they're workers, and they're willing to help anyone um, who's willing to come in for help. But yeah, it's not a Silicon Valley by, by any okay. means. Yeah, we're not Silicon Valley either, but Seattle is very techy and fast. Um, I, I know people, like, friend, like friends, people I've known have successful businesses now. One of them is like a, a buoy for crab pots that you know retracts underwater so whales don't get stuck. Um, another person is working on breaking down PFAS, which is like a chemical foam and fire extinguishers. And, you know, their business is growing. So it's, it's crazy. Stuff happens really fast and there's a lot of room for growth. And so being here at UW, I've loved watching that. And, um, you know, third option, get involved with that, you know, try finding a business to start, try finding somebody to work with and hopefully, you know, grow an idea big. Um, yeah, but we'll see, you know, I'm pretty sure you're in the same boat, Nelson, but, you know, three to five years, you know, you could be anywhere. Most definitely. So do you have any lessons from the past few years that are help that's helping to guide you through finding your path? Yeah. Um, I guess maybe not finding your path, but 
make new path, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this is a really weird story, but when I was um, around you know 16, you know, I was like, I think I was a sophomore in high school. Um, one of our neighbors was like, hey, come here, I got something for you. And he took me to his home and he gave me this little card. And uh, I got it, I got it hanging up over here. And it says some simple words. It just says, organization is the key to life. Um, and that is one of the tenets I have kind of lived by and worked by. And that is one of the tenets that has got me a lot of places. So for a piece of advice for you guys to take out, organization is the key to life. Um, for me, I, uh, I have a lot of tasks. So I have a, you know Excel sheet that labels my tasks so I can stay organized and know which ones are due when, which ones have priority, how much time they'll take. Um, similar to Nelson, I also have a Google Calendar, right? You can send scheduling, make sure you know what you're doing. Um, it may not be as colorful as Nelson's because I don't know if you guys have ever seen that, but that thing is, that's full. His calendar is full, um, but it helps you remember where you got to go, what you got to do. Um, another thing is, you know, for me at least, you know, clean room, clean mind. So like keeping it clean so I can work more efficiently. So if there's one thing I had to tell the viewers out there, the listeners, organization is the key to life. Stay organized, stay safe. That's a beautiful lesson. So I love how you touched upon it, talked about the why, the what, but why is organization key? Okay. Let's see. Like you mentioned, sorry, you mentioned yeah. like um, having your room clean makes mine easier, but is there a deeper why to why it works? Why it works. All right. So for me, when it comes to classes, when it comes to organizing notes, when it comes to scheduling events, having um, my stuff organized and lay out helps me be more effective um, at doing my things, right? If you had, you know, let's say you had two hours to do homework, okay? And you had, you had your phone, right? And you had, you had a homework due and you just, it's due next week. You might want to just, you know, lay on your phone, you know, you spend that two hours playing Minecraft pocket edition. But, you know, if you had a task list where you could physically see the stuff you need to do, you can tangibly be organized enough to see where you need to be. That's motivation. That's motivation to get out um, of your comfort zone and kind of work to be efficient and to meet your goals. Um, and so being organized can help you do that. It can help you be more efficient and it'll help you reach your goals better. Um, for me personally, having an organized room um, helps me be more efficient because I'm not looking for crap. Sorry, I don't know if I'm on the case. Um, yeah, I'm not looking for stuff. If I need a flashlight, I know what a flashlight is. If I need pins, I know where my pins are. I'm not going to have to spend half an hour mid-study to go, you know, find something. Um, so, yeah, I guess the deeper why just makes it more efficient. And if you don't want to be efficient, that's okay. I know plenty of people who are great people without being organized, but I'd recommend it if you want to be efficient. So is it difficult to stay organized or do you think in the long run, you do save that time, but being organized? Being organized is difficult. Yeah. Because, you know, it's like five, 10 minutes a night. You got to organize your bag, organize your shelf, do your bed, all that fun stuff, but it pays off, right? Uh, The time that you'll kind of think about doing other things, you know, the time you think about cleaning your room when you get home, it's not there anymore because you do it every night. The time you spent um, about, you know, thinking about what homeworks you had to do. That's one thing. Um, 
last last quarter, I spent a lot of energy thinking about what was due. Um, like just a lot of mind power trying to remember, and I'd still miss the deadlines, which was silly of me not to you know get organized and write it down. Um, but yeah, you just waste so much time um, trying to organize your life if you don't actively do it. So I'd recommend get ahead of it, do it now. Most definitely that last lesson hits home hard. I would always yeah. try and remember things and it would not work out. Nowadays, <clears throat> I honestly, like I attempt to not remember many things. So if I do try and remember something, I do keep it in mind, but anything yeah. else I need to write down. Otherwise it will slip my mind immediately. And then doesn't it take energy like to, to think about, like if you didn't write it down, like just trying to remind yourself to keep thinking about it like that. And it just, it's exhausting versus just you know, scribble with a pen. I know like on my desk at home, I have all my sticky notes ready to go at school in our green roof lab. We have a large canvas paper on our desk so we can work yeah. on the desk. And if you have an idea, we need something, write it down, circle it, date it. That way it's right there. Yeah. I think, um, I don't know if you want to dive into this now, but eventually I'd like to dive into, you know, the green roof team organization. Um, I just came to me, but I see how many initiatives your group has done and how do you organize that? You know, um, I know my group, we have a, we have a Google Excel and it's like, uh, you just, is it done in progress? No, here are the people assigned, but I'm interested to see what scope you guys do. How do you guys manage scope? Um, so within ourselves, we have project leaders. So myself and myself, Gustavo and Prem were all project leads for specific projects. And then of course I oversee everything. Um, overseeing yourself is quite difficult sometimes because it's hard to have good feedback and being able to see, well, it's actually easier to see ways to improve immediately, but then implementing it does take time. But anyways, um, the project leads, they're in charge of the entire project scope and how every teammate is progressing. And then we just have, everyone has self-accountability, so everyone has their own schedule and that helps on our ends because we spend less time being micromanagers, but then on everyone else's end, it helps them to become and grow as their individual selves. Because if someone has a full plate, it's on them to find ways on growing and developing and being able to manage their own time. And of course we're here and we have been doing pretty well jobs. So if they need tips, we're there. Um, but I would say we focus on the big picture always. Um, one tool that we discovered and began implementing last year that changed how we worked was Mural. So Mural is a online whiteboard tool that you can collaborate with other individuals from across the globe online. And having that one space where we have all of the information has been beneficial along with our Google Drive. So for example, for the wind turbine project, we're manufacturing our own blades. So in that Mural, we have a section about the different materials that we're using that way you don't have to go into any google docs or any other file types but instead in that one whiteboard we have all the information there from images to text and we can see what everyone has been writing and then another section we have about cubelades which is a design program to test out the different um, designs for an airfoil so then we have the steps there on how to use the software but then also the results from everyone on our solar project for the competition we're in right now with NREL, it's the Solar District Cup. So in there we have five or six parts of the project from 
the main executive summary to the development plan, conceptual design, an Excel calculation, a finance report. So each one of those areas have their own sections. We have everything listed in there that we need to do so we can easily check it off. And essentially, big picture wise, it's all about communication and visualizing what we need. Have it all in one space and minimize any areas that might lead to miscommunication. If we need a link to the document where we're writing up the executive summary, put a link right there in that section called executive summary. That way no one's questioning where it is, but instead have everything made as easy as possible. So we spend the teammates spend the least amount of time getting to where they want to do. And like I said, focus on efficiency by being organized, they can be more efficient and they can focus on what they want you to focus on. Okay. Yeah, that's awesome. It's nice that you guys have found a way of both, you know, managing people, managing content and um, managing how you work. You know, that's, that's really the key for growth. And it sounds like you, know, you guys found it. So I applaud you guys for that. Cool. And definitely one major tip that we have is sometimes some projects, they just got to be killed or put on the back burner. Um, one project that we were quite hopeful for was a docu-series. However, we just honestly don't have the bandwidth on campus in person to be able to take all the footage. We have the people to be able to edit it, but we don't have the people and resources to go make the footage. So some projects, they just have to be killed so others can grow to be the best they can. Yeah, okay. That's cool. I was actually thinking about docuseries as well. That's kind of funny that you guys have one of your ideas. We don't have anybody to edit. <laughs> oh, isn't that funny? Okay. Um, Cool. Well, Owen, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast before we close out today. And again, this is one of my favorite episodes. The conversation flowed so well. <laughs> Do you have any final words or comments you'd like to share with the audience? Yeah. Um, well, it's the old tradition, I guess I do, for um, interviews, um, talks um, with Nelson. I think Nelson did this to me, too. Last time we talked, he gave me one of these. But I'd like to give a quick overview. Um, yeah. So basically today, you know, we talked about you know, some of the projects we've done. We've talked about projects that I've done personally, projects that I've done with um, my school. We've also talked about cool Green Roof. We've talked about the disaster resilient wind turbine. We talked about, um, you know, the thing right above his head that you can see, the, the wind turbine that they designed and how they plan to use PV systems. And we also um, touched on a little bit of how they, you know, manage their team. Um, be it through the mural, mural boards or just through, you know, basic Google tools. Um, yeah, we've also talked a little bit about community solar, which is a fascinating idea, just kind of like a farming co-op, but for electricity. And yeah, we also touched on some of the, you know, geographic difference that we have, you know, some of the flat rural lands of Carbondale, Illinois, and some of the volcanoes in Washington. So yeah, thank you for having me today and I'll pass it off to you. Sounds great. Well, thank you again for being with us today and thank you to the audience for coming in, listening to this amazing episode. We hope that you took something away. How We hope you took several things away. This is an amazing <laughs> conversation. And also thank you to all of our sponsors and supporters who have been with us since the beginning. And lastly, stay sustainable, folks. Stay sustainable. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Young Entrepreneurs. 
If you found this episode interesting, please listen to another. Follow our journey on social media. Just search Green Roof Team. Special thanks to your sponsors, the SIU Research Park, Energy Center at SIU, SIU Green Theme, University Innovation Fellows, CH Electrical, Supplied Energy, Silvix Forestry and Nursery, Another Chance Studios, AES Solar, RAS Coatings, Sprex Supply Group, HNF Vision, Awareness. We look forward to you joining us next week on Young Entrepreneurs. Stay sustainable, folks.